Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Studios, it's the Press Box Summer Edition. I hate this place. I do. Ed Graney. I'm telling you, I hate it. Tyler Bischoff. I'm in a hostile environment. I am completely unprepared. I'm surrounded by people who probably want to kick my ass. It's like being back in high school. On ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, put the uh, headphones on. Here we go. Let's mail it in today. Jared's going on vacation next week. Three-day weekend. I'm going to California. It's it's definitely time to mail it in. You going to California for games? Yes. No. Yeah. Oh, it must be Astros Angels. It is. Okay. He's gonna going to get to pot. see uh, Shohei Otani. That's right. You're not going to go for Padres Dodgers. No, don't care about those teams. Why would I go watch teams that are going to get bounced in the first round of the playoffs? Yeah, St. Louis. That's the Padres and the Dodgers. I guess technically second no. Round, see, they can't get bounced in the first round of their the playoffs. first their first playoff series. See you later. Be, I I met a Dodger fan yesterday. A good friend. Uh, uh, and he was talking. He's a huge Dodger fan like myself. And I said, "What do you think? No pitching." Oh, my God. You guys are the worst. And I had not talked to him in six to eight months, and it wasn't like we talk all the time. I go, what do you think? No pitching. No chance. You guys just nodded and kept going. Just no pitching. One of you grunted. All right. Well, I'll see you in eight months. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's what we did. We nodded and said, oh, we're a hell of a team between April and September. (sighs) Come on, Ed. Come on. They're fine. But I hope they lose. The first bite. What is the Raiders' ceiling this season? Can they win the Super Bowl? No. Really? I don't believe Not so. Not even slightly. I don't believe so. What? Am I the optimistic one? Yeah, well. I think, of, I think of course they can give, win give the yourself, Super Bowl. Give yourself well, a minute uh, or two. Like, like, if you did range of outcomes I mean, for the Raiders' the season the Bengals made the Super Bowl, so right. I guess he's not. Like, okay, let me let me start here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break this down to both Let me of break you. it down for you. Can the Raiders make the playoffs? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Once in the playoffs. And they can make it without winning a single game in their division. That's right. We heard that. Once they're in the playoffs, right? And obviously, we'll have a whole season to better answer this question. But right now, all the teams you know in the AFC, is there any team in the AFC that you were like, the Raiders cannot beat them? Uh, Chiefs at home. Buffalo at home. So you guys do think both of you have a team that the Raiders cannot beat? On the road, yes. Okay. Oh, no, I was saying that they can't beat at Allegiant. They can't beat the Chiefs. Oh, I was saying the other way. <laughs> I was saying in Buffalo. Well, Jared, most likely they won't play. The, they won't have home games. Um, <laughs> but so it's good for them. So, okay, that to me, right now, there's no team in the AFC that the Raiders couldn't beat. Right? I, I Yes, going to Buffalo. Yes, playing Kansas City. I would not pick them to win those games but I can absolutely see them in a playoff game going in there and winning one game and advancing. So if like the range of outcomes, if we, if you know, we have those, Hey, they did a hundred thousand simulations of the season, which they did. The Raiders have a chance at winning the Super Bowl. There's at least one outcome well, in there where the Raiders win the Super Bowl. So to me, the ceiling is the Super Bowl. I guess so does Denver. Right. I, I think any, yes, I a hundred percent agree The I can see the Denver Broncos making the postseason and to me, it's not the most crazy thing to say, yeah, if Denver could go to Buffalo and win a playoff game. Like, it happens, right? We saw Cincinnati come out and win playoff games and go to the Super Bowl last year. So, to me, the ceiling is win the Super Bowl. Is What's that likely? Not make the playoffs. I mean, the floor is like four wins. Yeah. 
right? Just be awful. Yeah, I th- and I think both of those two things are equally as likely. I don't think either uh, one's happening. See, I, I would say four and what would be four and thirteen is not likely. So, I just don't. think You think it's get... more likely they win the Super Bowl than go four and thirteen? Yeah, I don't think they can yeah. win the Super Bowl. But if you tell me I have to pick one, then I would pick the Super Bowl. But I, I just don't think they can go four and thirteen. I think they're be a lot better than that. It'd be difficult. Uh, but I, I think those are like the sort of one percent good and the one percent bad outcomes. Like the absolute worst case scenario, the team goes four and thirteen, and the absolute best case scenario, the well, team that's wins the Super Bowl. Anybody right? Well. I'm I not going to sit here and tell you the well, Texans no. can win the I, I, Super Bowl. You understand. Anyone right. who makes it to the playoffs, that's right. the best case scenario. So, like, for the Texans, like, the absolute best case scenario is 9-8. and eight, And the worst case scenario is 0-17. See, 9-8 um, and eight is where I have the Raiders. Right. Me too. Uh, so, I, and the reason I ask about ceiling this morning, and this is more about the regular season, but the Athletic had uh, five NFL executives, anonymous executives, rank the teams in the AFC and the average of those five place the Raiders at eighth overall. But, and here's why, here's why I ask about ceiling between those five, the floor, one of them had them at 11th. So one of the executives said the Raiders are going to be the 11th best team in the AFC. But one of the executives had the Raiders as the third best team in the AFC. So regular season wise, if we bring it, ignore the playoffs for a second. What do you think the ceiling is on this team in the regular season? How high of a seed can they get in the postseason in the AFC? Five. That's the high. So basically you don't think they'll win the division or can win the division. No, I don't think they can nor will. I don't expect them to win the division. I do think they could win the division. Um, But the interesting part about that, the one guy who picked the Raiders to finish third. We don't know. Well, let me rephrase this. He didn't pick them to finish. Excuse me. He didn't pick them to finish third. He said they're the third best team. And if he had Kansas City bef- before he had them, Kansas City too. Yeah. So in that, that scenario, Kansas City won the division. they'd be the five seed. Right. Right. And that would suck if you're the Raiders and you're clearly the third best team, but you end up as the five seed. And that is... I think the interesting part, because you look at the AFC West and how there are good teams in it, there's a real chance. It could be the Raiders. It could be the Chargers. It could be the Broncos. It could be the Chiefs, too. There's a real chance that one of the, say, four best teams in the AFC is the second best team in the AFC West and is for and is the five and is seed. the five seed in the playoffs. Yeah. Much like this simulation has the Chargers as the five seed. Right. Right. Uh, they have actually they have charges, charges the four. four seed. Yeah. They have charges the four seed. So and and by the way, if you go through these executive picks here, uh, like take Kansas City for example, two executives had him first, two had him second in the AFC entire AFC. One picked him fifth, so that was the lowest they went. The Chargers were two, two, five, and six, six. So nobody picked them outside of six. Denver, which by the way was picked ahead of the Raiders here by one spot. Three people had them seventh, one had them sixth, and one had them fourth. Fourth? Yeah. And so, which, by the way, what that means is all of these executives have the Broncos in the playoffs. Not yes. a single one of them picked them outside the top seven. Meanwhile, the Raiders had two guys pick them 10 and 11, two more seven, and one three. Only seven make the playoffs. So if the Raiders come in at eighth, like this well, executive prediction is, they're not in the postseason. They're not in the playoffs. So which would be 
what what are they about 50 50 by odds to be a mm-hmm. playoff team this year um would be unfortunate if you don't make the postseason this year i don't know if it's a failed season given what we given what the expectations of the division are but let me let me ask it this way so raiders projected eighth one through seven ahead of them buffalo kansas city baltimore the chargers indy cincy and denver are there any of those teams you would put them ahead of besides denver which we've already agreed upon am i missing something on indy matt ryan good running back no i know they have a good running back good defense Um, really good defense Denver for sure, and I don't know since he can can repeat to where they. I don't think they can repeat to get to this. I mean, I guess in your mind, if you think the Raiders can win it, you think that since he can get back there, I'll put them against. I'll put them ahead against Denver for sure. I think Denver and Cincinnati are the two big ones for me that I can that I can definitely say. Yeah, the Raiders are probably going to be better than those teams this year. Um, I don't. I Indy's going to be about. I think the Raiders are about the same as Indy. Here, here's the big problem. For the Raiders. They can be better than Cincinnati. They can be better than Indianapolis. They can be better than, and teams behind them, by the way, Tennessee, Miami, New England. They can be better than Tennessee, better they than better Miami. Better be ahead of New England after what we saw. <laughs> they can be better, a better football team than all of those teams and still finish behind them in the mm-hmm. AFC standings. Like, that's the ultimate problem for the Raiders, is the AFC West, outside of Denver, Chargers, Raiders, and Chiefs all have top 10 uh, projected strength of schedules, right? All three of those teams are expected to have some of the most difficult schedules in the NFL. The only reason Denver is not is because they finished fourth last year and they get a couple they of a, absolute crap teams right. on their schedule. The Raiders, I, I think the Raiders are better than Tennessee. I think they're better than Miami, right? We know they're better than the Patriots. Would not surprise me if the Tennessee Titans had a better record than the Raiders at the end of the season. Would not surprise me if Miami had a better record than the Raiders at the end of the season because their schedules are nicer. Their schedules are easier this season. And so when you're the Raiders and when you you don't get a Jets in your division, right? Or in Tennessee's right. case, Houston and Jacksonville. Right. That that doesn't happen. The Titans get four games against Houston and Jacksonville, right? They'll probably lose one because the AFC South is stupid, but they're at least going three and one in those games. Are the Raiders going three and one against the Chargers in Denver? Probably not. No. Nope. So it's Probably a best case scenario two and two. Right. So that's sort of the ultimate problem for the Raiders. When I say, hey, their ceiling is win the Super Bowl, that is everything going right for this team. Like that might include Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes get hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that might be part of the equation. But them winning the division going to be incredibly difficult and then when you look at who they're competing with in wild card games their schedule is just it's just tougher it's just going to be harder for them to get there they're going to have to be significantly better than a lot of these teams to actually be better win loss wise because of the schedule yeah i mean i i i'm not going to go back and i don't think they can win the super bowl i i I understand your logic i do think they're going nine and eight and getting a wild card um, I just, uh, if you're telling me they're on the road to Kansas city or Buffalo in the playoffs, I just, I think that'd be really hard. I think on the road, you know, it's a tough place to play. And we haven't mentioned this team ranked third is Baltimore. Yeah. I've seen people that I know pretty well picking Baltimore to win the super bowl. If they're healthy, I don't, yeah, I don't have a problem with that pick. Like if they're healthy, they're right there with Buffalo and Kansas city as best projected teams mm-hmm. in the AFC. I, and I don't, I don't think that's even controversial now. 
you know, they had two guys, what, tear their ACLs and back-to-back plays last year in camp. I think they avoided that this year. But, like, if they get into the season and they suffer ridiculous injuries or Lamar Jackson gets hurt, because that was was really the biggest one. They were still one of the top teams in the AFC until Lamar got hurt last year. Lamar Jackson gets hurt in week six or something. Even if he's only out for a month, that four-game stretch could cost the Ravens the division, maybe a playoff spot like it did last year. But if they're if they're healthy or at least some you know relative health for NFL teams, yeah, they're absolutely right at the top. And that's again for the Raiders. If you're if you're saying if I'm sitting here saying they can win the Super Bowl, how many teams better than them do they have to beat to do it? it that's that's Especially where if they go in as a wild card. Right, you go in as a wild card, and now you've got to beat. You've got to win four games and you might have to, right. You might have to go through Baltimore, Kansas city, Buffalo in some order. And then now I'm agreeing with you and being like, "Ah, that's not happening (laughs) all on the road. (laughs) Yes. Most likely all on the road. Unless, you know, Cincinnati comes along, Tennessee comes along, pulls a couple upsets. And now you get the Titans in the AFC title game. And then, Hey, you're going to the super bowl. All right. Coming up next, we'll jump into some college football because the season is back and the Big Ten is apparently talking to Pac 12's teams too, still. Throw on first down, goes to the sidelines, has a man wide open, it's tipped, it picked off. MJ Devonshire, Scott Bates, he's going to take it to the end zone. Pittsburgh takes the lead. You have got to be kidding me. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. Thursday night college football is back. It was good. Uh, but what'd you watch? Uh, I've got three TVs, all of it. Oh, I only watched probably the last nine minutes of Purdue against Penn State. It was a fun last nine minutes. Pitt, West was. Virginia was fun, too. Yeah. yeah, it really was. Yeah. Love college football. What a great sport. Um, Some of these kids can't tackle. <laughs> definitely on Purdue. Yeah. Good God. Did you guys see the end of the first half touchdown from Penn State? No, there's like, I don't know, 12 seconds left and they just throw it to the tight end, like at the 50 yard line and he scored like the tight end just ran through like missing tackles. Yeah. Like three Purdue guys down the field and so like it's the tight end. It wasn't fast <laughs> and it wasn't like that big. And the Purdue was just like, ah, we can't tackle what this was guy. The, was it uh flowers was the guy on UNLV whose specialty was to bounce, like hit the guy really hard and fall down. That's been everybody's specialty. Oh, okay, yeah, for a fair while. enough. Yeah, and so yeah, it was it was a hail mary that wasn't a hail mary, and the tight end just sort of ran it in, for rambled a up down. Yeah, um, big picture in college football, though, according to Brett McMurphy, Washington met with the Big Ten uh, last week. Oregon reportedly met with the Big Ten in Chicago, uh, and there was this interesting detail from Brett McMurphy: the Big Ten is targeting Notre Dame along with Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal from the Pac-12. They've met with Oregon and Washington. Uh, We've talked a lot about waiting on Notre Dame because that would be one that clearly the Big Ten would add. Do you believe that the Big Ten is interested in Oregon, Washington, Stanford, or Cal? I think they'd be interested in Oregon, Washington, Stanford, and Cal. I guess you got to get the GPAs in there at some point, right? You don't have to. Who cares about that? Well... I mean, I, why then? Why then Stanford and Cal? I don't believe Brett McMurphy's source. What would Stanford and Cal add? I have no idea. Nothing. You don't need California. Like, do you need the Bay Area so badly that you're no. going to add Stanford and Cal? I don't think so. And 
from a competitive football standpoint. Well, you've got USC and UCLA for right. that. From a competitive uh, foot, uh, football standpoint, yeah, Stanford's had some good teams recently, but like nothing incredible, nothing that you can't live without. So value-wise, I don't know that those two add a ton of value. So I don't know why the Big Ten would be, be interested. To be completely honest, I'm not sure Oregon and Washington add enough value to the Big Ten. Like when we're talking about adding television markets and we're talking about, hey, ESPN, Fox, CBS, NBC, we want more money from you. I don't know that Oregon and Washington provide that much yeah. more value. Like they're definitely some value there, but I don't know that it's significant. A lot of value with Oregon and Nike. But you don't get the rest of the conference doesn't get Nike. Only Oregon gets Nike, right? Like that's it. Like Nike well, does other help. schools have Nike as they the, get jump man. Right. But they get that no matter yeah. what. Like Nike's not going to shun Big Ten schools because Oregon isn't in it. Like Nike doesn't add to the television dollars, which is what all of this is about. Nike just adds to the Oregon dollars because they've got Phil Knight there. So I don't believe that Stanford and Cal are legitimate uh, Big Ten options. I'm not even sure I believe Oregon and Washington are going to be legitimate. Um, and then the other part of this is when he says the Big Ten is targeting Notre Dame along with four Pac-12 schools. That would give them an uneven number, which would I guess you could have an uneven number, but that would be, what would that be, 19 schools? Why on earth would they have a 19-team okay. conference? The that'd, big 19. That'd be stupid. <laughs> like, to me, this is more, the more realistic scenario is if Notre Dame eventually decides that they're going to join a conference and join the Big Ten, that it's then a race between Oregon and Washington to be the, to one, be the school one school to join with Notre right. Dame. And it'd probably be Oregon in that scenario. But that would be my guess here, that they would be interested in adding Notre Dame. And then, okay, we need one more school to keep this balanced. Okay, it'll be Oregon or Washington. We'll take Oregon. And then that's it. How many schools would then be in the Big Ten? Well, once they get the two California schools, they're at 16. If they get Notre Dame plus one, it's 18. They're in 18. So, so when do they drop the 10? Never. I hope they never no. do it. I hope they have 28 schools in the future and stay at 10. It's great. Meanwhile, the Big 12 goes the other way. <laughs> big 12 will have four teams in the future, and they'll be the, I mean, they the just, Big 12. I don't know. Are they just trying to become as big as possible? So you have that two. Well, they got that, that in the two, name. You got to. It's true. It's aspirational. <laughs> yeah, that two conference split between the SEC and them. I mean, I and I think that's sort of what. I don't know how intentional it is from the Big 10 or the SEC, but it feels like all these moves are sort of for the eventual split, split. of college football. Right. And whether it's the Big Ten and the SEC go by themselves or whether it's uh, the ACC or whoever is left comes along, it does feel like, I mean, all these moves are made for television dollars. That's the ultimate answer here. It's the only thing that matters. Right. All the moves, like there's no reason for the Big Ten to add USC and UCLA with the exception of, hey, we oh. can make a lot more money yeah. in, with our television partners now. Same with Notre Dame, same with an Oregon or a Washington. That's why. But I think the, again, not the intentional reason, but I think what's ultimately leading to is a split. And if the Big Ten has 24 members or whatever it is, and then they split away from the rest of college football with the SEC, it's not going to be that crazy. We're going to have a 24-team Big Ten and a 24-team SEC, and that's that's it. Those are your two major college football conferences. And, and the Pac-12 crumbles? Yeah, Pac-12 disappears or something. Hell, the Big 12 probably disappears in that scenario too, and maybe the ACC survives. But that's the interesting part there. Now, another story 
Uh, John Canzano. Um, he wrote. He ba- he gave his own odds for teams to join the Pac-12. Uh, Pac-12 has not gone out of its way to add Mountain West schools, uh, but John Canzano. Here are his odds: San Diego State, the favorite, at two to one. SMU right behind him at four to one. UNLV coming in with the third best odds at five to one. Then Boise State at six to one. Fresno State at eight to one. And John Canzano just listed it as Big Twelve hunting at ten to one. So whatever Big Twelve team that would be interested, he put it ten to one. Well, UNLV's got those great facilities, so you got to put them in the top five. There's only six teams listed here, so be top hard, five. Be hard to not be in the top five. Uh, do you think UNLV should have the third best odds? Of the other ones, I do. <laughs> of the other ones, I do. I can see, I mean, Vegas is, you know, the the cliche about Vegas becoming a sports town. Uh, you know, I, I do think, you know, they have pro sports here now. I think there's a kind of a sexiness to Vegas that people are thinking that they didn't used to think before. So I could see why San Diego State's won with the market. Uh, and they're pretty good at most sports. SMU, the market. But I'm trying to think the Pac-12 schools, um, they don't have that. They don't have Texas, right? No. There's they no don't Texas. have the Texas market. I think um, if you if we're talking about television markets, San Diego State and SMU make the most sense mm-hmm. because you get back into Southern California with San Diego State, and you get into Texas with SMU. You, not only Texas, you get into Dallas, right? right? So those two, like television market wise, make more sense than anything else you could come up with outside of raiding another power conference, which seems unlikely, right? Um, the thing that I was thought was kind of interesting is John Canzano's his his odds are too small, right? Your favorites two to one, but then SMU four to one, UNLV five to one, Boise State six to one, Fresno State eight to one. He's got to have bigger odds on these. You're not getting bets. Are, are you walking down and putting a bet on UNLV at five to one no. to join the Pac-12? Right. They need, they need to be twenty to one. Then you get somebody to come down and bet on UNLV to join the Pac-12. He's yeah, got Danny. He's got to get well. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. He's already bet on these. He's already bet on Not these. even a real sports book, and Danny's trying to bet on it. <laughs> but, like, you got you to gotta have longer odds than that. Like, San Diego State, two to one, sure. But then, like, At some SMU point, needs Danny's going to get, one. like, come in here and his thumbs are going to be broken, right? <laughs> exactly. Because he's trying to get side action somewhere. <laughs> so he's just got, because, like, the implied probability, two to one implies that there's a 33% chance of it happening. UNLV at five to one implies there's a 17% chance that yeah. they get invited to the Pac 12. And that seems too high. That seems high. Yeah. So. I just he's, he's got to lengthen those odds because you know you know if you're trying to get people to bet you got to have the long odds you got to have the hey I bet ten dollars to win a thousand or something like that and meanwhile you know he's only at five to one that's not good enough odds if you if you I don't bet know if I put I put SMU higher as well than UNLV no I, oh you well, make no, the, oh, on yeah, the odds gotcha, on the gotcha. odds like yeah. eight to one nine to one something like that yeah that'd make more sense I think all right coming up next Ben Brown joins the show. Why not have two engines? Hey, I got a Ferrari, and I just got this freaking brand new engine, 700 horsepower. Now, I got another engine that's about 500 horsepower. I know it. I've had it for years. I know exactly what I get. But this one can really take me there. Now, I don't know if it's going to blow out on the road. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's faster. They put that engine in. So why not keep the other one? You don't have to throw the other one away. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Ben Brown. All right, Ben, how many bets did you lose in the fourth quarter last night? It was 
it was pretty painful to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I had Purdue plus three and a half. That one did not come oh. home. Uh, I had a, I had a few unders as well. None of those came home. So it was, um, you know, outside of West Virginia, <laughs> thankfully covering seven and a half points. Uh, it was kind of a rough week one opening night for me. That's for sure. I did the Gophers. The Gophers did come through as well. I will take that one. So, what do you got this weekend? What's your favorite bet for this Saturday? I mean, I have uh, a few more under still, and I don't feel great about them after last night. I also like uh, Oregon State minus two and a half against Boise State. I think uh, Chance Nolan's a guy that has graded pretty well from PFS perspective. Um, kind of like what they're able to do rushing the football as well. Uh, Boise State has been really good in run defense, but I still think uh, anything short of a field goal for Oregon State is definitely uh, a pretty solid play. And I also like uh, Kent State, Washington under 59 and a half. I think this was, um, you know, a spot where we see kind of Washington grind it out. Uh, I think they could have a pretty decent offense with Michael Penix Jr., but I don't necessarily think that's going to start off the year uh, in the right direction. So I'm going under 59 and a half, even though uh, I haven't taken my lumps on under so far in this college football season. Obviously you made a bundle on UNLV against Idaho state. Had to, I know I was even, <laughs> we were in Vegas for that. I was trying to even, you know, bet some live lines on it. They looked, uh, they looked pretty lights out to say the least in that particular <laughs> match. Right. Even we were going to go to the game and kind of check out the stadium for the first time, but uh, we did not end up making it over there. Unfortunately. All right, I got a I got a question for you. Um, Arjun, who is uh, with you guys at Pro Football Focus, tweeted about the Chargers line against the Raiders in Week One, and uh, insinuating that uh, J.C. Jackson, the corner for the Chargers, who's probably going to be out, is worth about point six points to the spread. Um, where where does that number come from, and how much should players that are non quarterbacks be in terms of value to point spreads? Yep, yeah, it is a really good question. It's kind of this. Uh... Uh, sort of a research idea I've been working on this off season, but uh, obviously we see, you know, a number of uh, quarterbacks basically, and people kind of trying to project what their spread movement movement in particular would be. Uh, this is kind of trying to do the next iteration of that. It is based heavily on uh, not only PFF grading, but uh, percentage of team snaps played and also like our war metric to understand how valuable any given player is. Uh, Aaron Donald does lead the way at, Non from non quarterbacks, I think he's worth like 1.35 uh, in this particular calculation. So uh, we do see, you know, some of the, the some of the guys that I would say are in like the 10 to 15 type range, 10 to 20 type range of players at the position. If that is a valuable position, probably are worth right around you know 0. 0.65, 0. 0.75 to the spread. There is maybe a little bit of an adjustment with uh, you know J.C. Jackson's case in particular because we haven't seen him in this Chargers defense, uh, so it might be a little bit. Uh, of you know an underutilized element uh, in that regard, but yeah, I think that, you know these these players definitely matter, and I think the interesting thing about uh, you know this particular idea is how much more you know the next player would matter if J.C. Jackson and another guy are out, right? And that compounding factor at certain positions uh, definitely makes it like a worthwhile thing to understand from a betting perspective. So, are there positions besides quarterback that? you know, uh, affect lines more than not. I know you probably go individual players like Aaron Donald, but are there positions other than quarter? What would be the next position? Yeah. So Aaron Donald, obviously uh, an outlier, um, but we do see mainly it being, you know, like the wide receivers uh, and the cornerbacks are kind of like the next tier of positions that uh, seem to influence it quite a bit. And then they're also kind of the positions that are going to see it, uh, you know, matter even greatly if that next guy is also out, if we see some of these like cluster type, 
situations at certain positions. That's the spot where, uh, you know, from a betting perspective, it influences the line quite a bit, I would say. How many players do the Raiders have that would fall in that sort of point six or point seven? I'm guessing like Devontae Adams, Max Crosby types. Yep. So Crosby, uh, Devontae Adams, the one that, and when I was kind of first doing it, the interesting thing is uh, a guy like Nate Hobbs, right? Slot cornerback definitely matters. If you can get a guy that can play really sound man coverage from the slot and kind of lock that particular position up, it is really valuable. And in his rookie year, he did really good from a PFF grading perspective, and he was really valuable in our war metrics. So he was actually, you know, a top 30 player outside of the quarterback position in this particular metric when I kind of first did that. So he's definitely a guy that, uh, you know, maybe he is a little bit overrated right now, but he's flashed enough to the point where uh, I think he has a pretty important piece to that Raiders defense. Not many lines have changed uh, from week one. Have you seen any that you like more than not in terms of uh, week one? Uh, I mean, I still think that uh, the Green Bay Packers are probably just a little bit mispriced down to, you know, one point minus 1.5. Now I do think that, you know, has moved a little bit. And obviously, you know, going from two and a half down to one and a half doesn't really matter a whole lot. But uh, I think the Vikings maybe are getting just a little bit too much hype. So if I can get the Packers at anything under a field goal differential, I think that's probably uh, my favorite bet of week one so far. What do you think the change in spread would be between Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo? So at right now, uh, I honestly don't think it would move the move the needle too much. Maybe like a point. Uh, and of course, you know, if we see Trey Lance, you know, first five games of the season kind of live up to what a lot of people are projecting, get close to his ceiling type outcome performance. Uh, I think then if he actually got hurt, say in like week eight, week nine, or something like that, that's when you could see a little bit more dramatic of a spread movement between you know three, three and a half points or something like that. But right now, given the uncertainty surrounding Trey Lance and what his actual performances are going to be, I wouldn't see it dropping any more than like a point if they decided to go with Jimmy Garoppolo over him at quarterback. So what's the ceiling on these numbers for quarterbacks like you know an Allen or Mahomes? What what's the ceiling? How much can these actually move depending on who it is? Yeah, I think, you know, six and a half, seven points is basically where it would be. If we saw a guy, um, you know, we and we've seen it, you know, in certain situations even last year, right? A guy like Dak Prescott, I think it was week eight, facing off against Minnesota. Everyone kind of thought he was playing uh, and then didn't end up playing. We saw that spread basically move, you know, eight points or something like that. So we have seen, you know, certain situations where it does move, you know, over, almost a touchdown differential in some quarterback situations. So that's kind of where it is. It also depends somewhat on, you know, the drop-off between uh, the starting quarterback and the backup quarterback, and that's something that, uh, you know, a lot of probably, you know, a lot of these, like, metrics and things like that don't probably fully take into account correctly. What, what's, uh, what's Derek Carr worth? Let's see here. I can pull that up. I should have it in front of me. I mean, it's uh, – we have Derek Carr worth about 5.5 points oh. the spread. Um, so we have, you know, Tom Brady at the top, seven and a half basically in the same tier as, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, all those guys. I think if it was uh, definitely a surprise uh, to the betting market that any of those guys were out, uh, we'd definitely see probably, a, you know, a, a full touchdown swing down from, you know, that caliber of quarterback down to their backup quarterback. No love for Jared Stidham. Poor Jared no, Stidham. And he knows the offense. <laughs> yeah, come on. He, he knows, knows, the, he, knows the, he knows the uh, New England offense. Yeah. So let me give you this hypothetical. If Rodgers is in that seven-point uh, level, um, he gets hurt. Packers pl- uh, trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Does that seven become only four or five, or is it still seven points without Aaron Rodgers? 
Yeah, I could see, um, you know, if they, I think they don't, it almost have to be, you know, if it was four or five, it would have to be like Jimmy Grapple is almost already in the fold or something, right? I don't think, you know, if he was, if he was traded week of or something, there'd probably be too much chaos to the point where it would still be Jordan Love at quarterback. But uh, I could see it maybe, you know, Jimmy Grapple being the best backup quarterback in the NFL with him kind of behind somebody that's going to have, you know, much less of an actual impact on the spread than what uh, some of that, some of these numbers probably take into account. All right, Ben, good luck with your unders this weekend. I mean, it's going to, it's always a sweat. It's always something that's painful. Hey, did you play, did you play Ohio state Notre Dame? Um, I, I kind of like Ohio state a little bit at minus 17. If you can get it. Um, I do think they're, you know, it is interesting kind of like the state of college football, uh, you know, a two versus five team with a 17 point spread differential. But uh, I think Ohio State is much better team on the field. I think we're going to see that here on Saturday. All right. He's Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Ben, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. That is the uh, most unfortunate part about college football is that there were two great games yesterday. Neither one means anything. Penn, Penn State, Purdue, right. and West Virginia Pitt. Doesn't mean anything. I mean, for the grand scheme of who's going to win the championship, irrelevant games. Still fun though. Still fun to watch though. Yeah, a great. It's a great sport. Seventeen point spread on two versus five. That's pretty ridiculous. That's pretty crazy. That is like reminiscent of like the NCAA women's basketball tournament when it's like, all right, UConn, UConn's yeah. playing the three seed in their region. They're favored by twenty one. Yeah, forty six. Yeah. <laughs> all right, coming up oh, next. They covered. We'll jump into some Golden Knights and see uh, if we can figure out what Bruce Cassidy's going to do with his lines. You know, I just, honestly, I just always play. I've been one of those guys that, you know, I'm going to try to play no matter what, uh, even if I'm injured or whatever. I just like to play, and, you know, uh, I've been fortunate so far, and I've been able to play a long time in this league, and, you know, like I said, I just always try to play. I don't even think about the games. I just, you know, I love to play the game still. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. Coming up later in the show, we've got tickets to go see Motley Crue, Def Leppard, Poison, Joan Jett, and the Blackhearts. Also, Golden Knights head coach Bruce Cassidy will join us a little bit later. Bruce Cassidy talked to Ben Goats uh. of the Review Journal earlier this week and Talking about his forward lines, Bruce Cassidy said, we're going to experiment. There will be moving some pieces around a little bit. So they're going to experiment, which means maybe the lines we see in the preseason or in training camp aren't actually the lines that we'll see in uh, the first game of the season. But what do you think is most important for the Golden Knights? Is it more important to have the best possible top line? Or is it more important to sort of spread your talent throughout your top four lines? Can you tell me who's on the top line? <laughs> if Marcia you're so Eichel and Stone. If you're putting together your best possible top line, that should be your top line. Then I would say the top line. And then have a weaker second, third, yeah. and fourth lines? I would say your top line is really, really important. I don't know what to expect from Bruce Cassidy in that regard. Boston had one of the best lines in hockey under Bruce Cassidy for a few years running. Um, Part of me thinks that that's ultimately what he's going to try is Marceau, Eichel, and Stone and say, hey, this is our our best lineup. But I think the issue for the Golden Knights is that they don't really have a lot of depth, right? They're counting on 
Nick Waugh, Jonas Ronberg, Jake LeShizen, Will Carrier. They're counting on those guys. Keegan Colasar. Yeah, some combination of those guys to be on your third line, right? And that and that's if they're healthy, right? Who knows when Mark Stone's playing, right? If they're healthy, those guys are on the third line. If they're not healthy, those guys are on the second line and, God forbid, on the first line every now and then. So I almost – here's my main thought on it. Regular season – I feel like it's probably more important to spread the depth out or spread the talent out and have, you know, a a slightly worse top line, but a slightly better second line and a slightly better third line. But then when you get to the postseason, it might be more important to have the loaded up number one line and then your second line as good as it possibly can Mm be. Because in the, in the postseason, I feel like it's more, it's more responsible to play your first line as many minutes. Well, as you're going to play more in the in the playoffs, right? Like an 82 game regular season. Sh- I don't need to load my first line up with double shifting that often, right? So I I, I feel like to me, regular season wise, I'd like to spread it out a little bit more. That way, I'm not saying okay, Eichel, Stone, Marshall, so let's go, keep going out there. You're playing 22 minutes tonight or something like that. But once you get to the postseason. If those are your three best guys, those are your three best guys, and they, they should need to be playing play as much as possible. Sixty minutes, right? Do you are you surprised without even a camp yet? He's and he said this, I think, at his introductory press conference. Maybe he knew the team more than we thought he did. I mean, I'm sure he knew a lot about the team being a coach in the in the league, even if it's in the other conference. Are you surprised that he seems to be uh, in favor of breaking up the misfit line as as much as he uh, comes off as? I mean, he kind of said he he said in the beginning of the press conference, his very first press conference, he was going to probably um, shake up lines yeah. or at least watch what it was going to happen if he did. So, and the interesting part on that is, you break up the misfit line if you're trying to build the best possible top line. Mm-hmm. You also break up the misfit line if you're trying to spread the talent throughout the lines. Like either one of those scenarios, those three guys of Carlson, Marshall, and Smith shouldn't be playing together. Now, if you decide uh, to keep them together and have a good second line and go Stone Eichel with Phil Kessel or Chandler Stevenson, right? You could do that too. But if you're going to put out the best possible top line, Marshall goes up, misfits are broken up. If you're going to spread the talent out through the top three lines, then Carlson might be your third line center or Smith might be your third line right wing or something like that. And you've broken them up anyway. So I would I would not be surprised to see a new coach come in and break them up. I honestly I I think maybe the more surprising thing is that DeBoer kept them together as much as he did, right? That that was that was still a line through two head coaches that Gallant and DeBoer right. eventually decided. Yep, this is this is what's best for our team. Maybe Cassidy decides the same thing too. Maybe he tries different stuff and he's like, ah, put them back together. They know what they're doing together. But um, I I think ultimately they probably get broken up plenty throughout the season. We'll also see them back together at some point. I mean, they're going to use hundreds of line combinations right. throughout the season right. because during games, yeah. right? Because of injuries yeah. or because, Hey, you want to mix things up because you're not playing well, whatever the reasoning is, you're going to see hundreds of different combinations. I think the curious part, what it ultimately is going to come down to, are they scoring enough? Hmm. Like that's going to be the main question. I, I think this team primarily they're going to win because defensively, they're not going to give up a ton. Right, I think that's that's probably, his teams. That's going to be this. And that's what his teams do. The way this roster is built, they should have good defensemen, and the forward group is a little bit lighter, a little bit weaker. 
So it should be a team that's better defensively. It should be a team that wins two to one more often than five to four or whatever. But it is ultimately going to come down to what he puts out in the forward groups. How are they scoring? When you trade away Max Pacioretty, when William Carlson's nowhere near to the 40 goal guy, when Mark Stone and Eichel are your best players and neither one of them are just true goal scorers, right? They're good at other things, but they're not just outright goal scorers. If this team is struggling to score, then that's that's gonna in, that's gonna dictate how often he's changing lines. I think that's gonna even if they're winning. I, coaches don't like to make changes when they're winning, but even if they're winning more often than not, three two. If they're having trouble scoring, I think that's when we're gonna see more. If they're scoring plenty of goals, he'll he'll keep it the same until there's injuries. But like when they're having trouble scoring, and here's the thing, I think we're gonna have long stretches this year where it's like they go two or three weeks and we're like, wow. They haven't scored more than two right. goals in, in their last game. six or seven games. Right. And that's going to lead to, oh, do you want to put the best top line out there? Or do you need to have something from your third line? Whatever the conversation is, I think that's going to, that and goaltending are going to be the two, the top two conversation pieces for the entire season. Who's playing in goal? Is that guy any good? Do they and need to play scoring? a different guy? And then who's scoring goals? Because right now, who's going to be the leading scorer on this team? Marcia how many is he going to score? 28? Riley Smith. Riley Smith scores like 22 every other year. I think he's on I think he's on pace to have a good season. Will carry. Yeah. I mean like it probably should be Marsh or so. Maybe it's Eichel, right? You need Eichel, but Eichel I think has only broken 30 once in his he's career. He's a point guard. So it's just like you look at who's going to lead this team in scoring and it feels a lot like their path to having a good offensive team is having like eight or nine guys that score between 15 and 15 25. And 20. And if they and listen, if they get that, great. But eight or nine guys means Nick Waz putting up seventeen, Ooh. or Phil Kessel's scoring twenty. Ooh. Right? I don't think those things are going to oh. happen. Right. So that's going to be the interesting thing: is where do they get their goal scoring? How long into the season are we talking about? Oh, shouldn't have traded away Max Pat. Well, he did get hurt, so we probably won't be saying that too much. But shouldn't have traded away Max Patcheretti when you need. Well, you no, know you need. Well, that and he doesn't want to golf after losses. That's right. Needs more. No pressure. accountability. Needs no need, accountability. I heard a great nickname for him: Goldilocks. Montreal, too much pressure. Vegas, not enough pressure. It's like Goldilocks in the beds. Some are too firm. Some are not firm enough. <laughs>